0: Welcome to the Life Spring Church podcast. May the Word of God be a blessing to you. Connect with us and consider giving online at lifespringchurch.us. I have to give you a little bit of context for the message today. Several months back, I was talking to an individual and they were going through a struggle. I really didn't have anything to say. It just was more of an ear to listen. Sometimes it's good if we can just be an ear. And after we hung up the phone and, and got done, it was weighing on my heart a little bit. I was praying for my my friend, my this individual, and I was just asking the Lord, hey, Lord, be with them, strengthen them. And the Lord just opened up the spigot of heaven and just started just dumping this thought and this idea into my mind, which was a word of encouragement for this individual. And I was like, well, hold up, Lord, I can't write that fast. <laughs> well, type that fast. And so this was a a word of encouragement that was given for a specific reason, for a specific person at a specific time. And so I filed it in my filing cabinet of, that's God, that's good God stuff. And then a few weeks back, this kind of started stirring in my heart and in my soul for us here at Life Spring Church, and I've tried to preach this like the last two or three times I've stood behind the podium, and it just wasn't time. I'd show up here a little bit early on Sunday, and I'd open up these notes, and I'd be like, all right, Lord, today's the day. And I'd be like, nope. Well, it's the only thing I've been thinking about all week, so it should be today. And he's like, Nope. <laughs> <laughs> but Friday, I was thinking of this again, and it's been on my heart, and I got the green light. So I'm going to share with you today what the Lord gave to me to share to my friend. But I believe it's more than just a word for my friend, I think it's a specific word for us today. And maybe I could even be a little bit more pointed and say it's a specific word. For some of you today. Where you are. In your walk with God. Or where you are in life. Is not your destination. Where you are in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Is not your destination. What you are experiencing is not the fullness of all that God has for you. There is a new day coming for you. There is a new anointing coming for you. There is a new deeper relationship in God for you. And there's some of you that hear what I'm saying right now and you're just like that's cliché. That's what preachers are supposed to say, especially on Sunday. Really? Just hang on. I fully expect today, and I want to declare it in faith today, I fully expect there will be some people who come to the altar today, and when they leave, they will have received a revelation about where they have found themselves living recently. I fully expect in this place today that some will walk away from the altar with a deeper appreciation for what God is doing in their life. I fully expect today that some will find new strength at the altar today. I fully expect that at the altar they will find a new appreciation and a new trust in God and in the process that God is taking them through, a renewed faith that His will really is being accomplished in their life. So with the help of the Lord, I want to preach to us today on this thought, this topic, the cave experience. The cave experience. I don't have an opening text today. I'm going to break every rule of being a preacher. I'm just going to start preaching. Samson, we're all familiar with the story of Samson and and today I'm going to trust and lean on your personal Bible knowledge. I have several biblical illustrations and examples to go along with the idea of the cave experience today. And unless you're willing to stay a couple hours, I don't have time to tell us every detail of every story or the back of every story. So I'm going to rely on your Sunday school experience and your depth of knowledge into the word of God. But Samson was a man who was called by God to do the work of God as a judge over the people of Israel. And the people that were bothering Israel or the troublesomes of Israel were the Philistines. And in one situation, Samson decided he was going to have vengeance on the Philistines because they had been messing with his home life. And so he takes foxes and he puns them together. And he lights their tails on fire. You've got to be a pretty manly man to get this far in the story. <laughs> and then he releases the foxes with their tails burning on fire into the crops of the Philistines. Today, that's called arson. But he burns out all of the crops of his enemies by loosing these foxes with their tails on fire. And afterwards, he needs some rest. You can find this in Judges chapter 15. I'll give you the chapters today where these stories are, and you can go back and and study them throughout the week. Judges chapter 15 is this story. And afterwards, he had finished, and Judges 15, 7, and 8 says, when he had had finished, he had gone back, excuse me, and he had went to live in a cave at Edom Rock. He needed a break. He needed a a place of rest, a place of getting away. So Judges 15, 7, and 8, it says, Samson said to them, because you have done this, I will take revenge on you, and afterwards, I will stop. He struck them down with a mighty blow. This is him talking, him referring to how he had struck them down with the foxes with fire. Then went to live in a cave and Edom Rock. After Samson's remarkable victory over the Philistines, he needed a place of rest. He needed a place of recuperation. He needed a place where he could find new direction, And new strength. And so he went to the cave. It was this cave that gave him new direction. You keep reading in Judges chapter 15. After he was in the cave for a bit. He comes out of the cave. And of course the Philistines are even madder at him now than before. You would imagine if you toiled in the field and, and, and done all the work that you could do to, to produce a crop. And then this man who just troubles your nation, wars against you all the time, Samson, just destroyed all the fruit of your hard labor, you become angry. And the Philistines were angry and they came after him again. And not just the Philistines, but the Jewish people, his, his fellow countrymen were angry Because now the Philistines were even madder and they they poked fun at Samson. Well, not really poked fun, they more rebuked him. Why did you go do that? Now they're mad at all of us too. And so the Philistines and his countrymen made a pact together. If they'll bind Samson and bring him to the Philistines, then the Philistines will take care of him. And this is the setting of the story where Samson, bound up, is brought out by his fellow countrymen, and he sees the end of the story as the the Philistines are gathering around, and he's like, ah, I've been betrayed. I've been stabbed in the back. And it felt like every time Samson was trying to take a step forward and every time Samson was trying to do the work that God had called him to do and every time Samson was trying to be the judge of Israel and every time Samson was trying to get rid of the negative and the sin and the the enemies of the people of God there was always a step backwards whether it was the enemy fighting him or even his own people fighting him. And the Bible says in chapter 15 of Judges that the anointing of Samson's life came upon him. And he broke the bands that he had been bound with. And he found the jawbone of a donkey. And with the jawbone of a donkey, he slew a thousand Philistines by his hand. Can I tell you today? Samson wouldn't have had the strength to slay a thousand Philistines under his anointing if he hadn't gone through a cave. God doesn't expect us to go from battle to 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 battle. If your entire walk with God is nothing but a fight, you're missing the cave. The cave in our lives, the experiences in our lives which are slowed down, and which are places of rest, which are places of, of regrouping and places of getting our minds back together and places of reconsecration, these are good places for us. Now, it doesn't always fit into Pentecostalism because a lot of times Pentecostalism has a lot of hype in it and a lot of, let's go, let's go, let's go. But hold on, there's times where God wants us to just take a deep breath. It doesn't mean quit. It doesn't mean stop. It doesn't mean bail out. Oftentimes, we read Scripture and it's one Miraculous story after the other, especially if you're reading through some of the the books of the New Testament. It's one miraculous story right after another and another and another and another. We have to understand that there's days, weeks, months, years between those stories. This is just the recording of the highlights of the life of Jesus Christ. The Bible says there's not room to house all the volumes of all the work that God did in all the earth. So we can't become disillusioned by the story of victory, the story of victory, the story of victory, the story of victory over and over again in the Bible and think that's how our lives are supposed to be. God intentionally leads us to cave experiences. It's intentional, and we should be intentional about having moments in our life where we turn off all the noise. Even Christian radio, even your favorite podcast, even the one preaching on YouTube that you follow. I could say a lot there. I want to keep walking. When it just becomes noise in the background, it loses its sacredness. It loses its holiness to us. It loses its purity to us. We should be intentional. We should not view the Word of God, the the presentation of the Word of God, as a smorgasbord or a buffet for us to just willingly take whatever we want. And we live in a world today that offers the largest Christian buffet ever available. This isn't even in my notes. Lord help us. But there are times God says, no, no, no. Turn off the noise. Step away from the buffet. Find a place of quiet. Find a place of rest because there will be another battle. Preacher, how do you know there will be another battle? Because the devil is a good devil. He's good at his job. He's a good devil. He will always be seeking to steal, kill, and destroy from us. And we will always have to fight with him. So from Samson, we learn that the cave experience is a place of rest to prepare us for our next conquest. First Samuel chapter 24, verses one through three, we read the story of David. And it came to pass when Saul was returning from following the Philistines, that it was told him, saying, "Behold, David is in the wilderness of Vengeti. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of Israel. You want to tell me Saul didn't have a vendetta to get a even with? 3,000 men to go chase down this one kid named David. Well, he's a young man at this point. 3,000 men out of Israel, and he went to seek David and his men upon the rock of the wild goats. And he came to the sheep's coats by the way where was a cave. And Saul went in to cover his feet, and David and his men remained in the sides of, of the cave what Saul is put on his predator persona the only trait that guy ever knew was taking care of sheep and if I'm going to find him I'm going to find him probably around sheep now, he's not going to be in the valley where he'd be easy to get to. He's going to be up here in the mountaintops, in the rugged terrain, up here where the goats walk on the edges. And while going through here, he comes across a gathering of sheep where they, where they bring the sheep in together, a, a pen. And there by this pen of sheep, there's a cave. So Saul, I would imagine, feeling very secure with 3,000 men, posts them all along the outside of the cave. Post some high, post some low. Post some to the east and some to the west. Post some even at the entrance of the cave. Now you guys watch for that David guy. Because if he's got any sheep, he'll be bringing them back here tonight to keep them safe. I'm going to go inside, take a nap, rest. And unbeknownst to him, deeper in the cave is David and his mighty men. Deeper in the cave is David, who's running for his life from the man sleeping at the mouth of the cave. You're familiar with the story? David's men come to him and said, David, you've been anointed to be king. God has given you the opportunity to take the kingdom. He won't even know what happened to him. He's asleep. You can walk up him and take his life. He won't have a clue. And the maturity of David says, no, 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 no. The same prophet, the same prophet that anointed me to be king anointed him to be king. The same anointing oil that was poured over me to be king was poured over him first to be king. And if God anointed him to be king, God will have to remove him from being king before I'll ever be king. So David goes up to Saul, who's asleep. The Bible says he cuts off a piece of the hem of his robe. We would call it a souvenir. The cave in David's life gave him the opportunity to move forward in what God called him to do. But not every time an opportunity presents itself is it God's presentation. Sometimes God's trying to prove us. So if you're in a cave today and you feel like you're hiding out and and the Satan or the enemy or life is trying to always hunt you down and and find you and and they're laying just in front of you is the the greatest opportunity but vengeance wells up inside of your heart, I would say pause for a moment. Because vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Don't act out in your vengeance Don't act out in retribution against what's happened to you in life. Rather, look at the opportunity and say, All right, Lord, you've put me in a place of safety. You've put me in a place of fortress. Your hand is guiding me and leading me. And even though in my safe place you've presented my enemy, I'll let your proving work its way out in my life. And I'll be faithful to the calling you've put on them. And I'll be faithful to the calling you've put on me at the same time. So the cave experience calls us to not retaliate. Man, that's tough. The cave proves us and our faithfulness to God. In 1 Kings chapter 19... We read the story of Elijah. Let's read just a few verses here in the midst of this story. 1 Kings 19, verse 9 through 13. And he came thither into a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? Let me break that down for you. Why are you here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it. Elijah found himself in a cave because he needed a private place to have a pity party. You still with me? And the Lord said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountain and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle. And went out and stood in the entering of the cave. And behold there came a voice unto him and said. What doest thou here?" Elijah had just had the greatest victory of his ministry. I can't tell the whole story today. But this is the story where they meet and they have the dueling at the altars and the prophets of Baal do their thing and it fails and their God does not answer by fire and Elijah prays a simple prayer and God does answer by fire not just in consuming the sacrifice but the fire of God literally falls from heaven Consumes the sacrifice, consumes the wood, consumes the twelve stones, consumes the barrels of water that had been dumped in the ditch around it, and even licks up the dust off the ground. God says, you want to doubt me now? After this great victory, Elijah gets word from the terrible, evil, wicked Queen Jezebel you killed my servants you made fun of my God I'm going to kill you and she was uh, if she was in the mob you would believe her when the word from, from Queen Jezebel got out it wasn't a threat it was a promise and so Elijah becomes fearful and he runs and he hides, ends up hiding in this cave. And God says to him, why are you here, Elijah? Some of us are in caves today and could I just speak the word of the Lord to you today? Why are you in your cave? And Elijah's first response to God was, I'm the only one left. Everybody else has quit. Everybody else has failed you, God. I'm the only faithful one left, and I just don't know if we're going to make it. I want to say this as tactfully and as gently as I can, but you don't need a cave to throw a pity party. Matter of fact, if you get rid of the pity party, you wouldn't need the cave. Sometimes we find ourselves in places of isolation because we want to privately have our own pity party. Well, Lord, it's been rough. And, Lord, it's been tough. And, Lord, it's been difficult. And, Lord, I don't even know if there's anybody else left living for God. It's just me. And God's like, but it's only Tuesday. Why are you here? Why are you living in a cave? Why are you hiding out in a cave? And so God has to demonstrate himself to the prophet. Because I guess fire from heaven that licks up the sacrifice stone, wood, water and dirt isn't enough. God shows up in a windstorm. Massive enough that it begins to tear rocks off of the mountain. God shows up in the earthquake and literally shakes the cave and all of its surroundings. God shows up in a fire again. And in all of these massive demonstrations, God is not present. Then there's the still small voice that Elijah hears. It's implied that he's hiding in the cave when he hears the still small voice for the first time. It's probably where I would have been if the wind was tearing rocks off the mountain. Earthquakes were happening and fire was everywhere. What do we see here? God says, demonstrating his strength to us, but his strength is not his voice. Sometimes we become more interested in the signs, wonders, and miracles or the demonstration of God than we are the relationship with God. And God says, you ran to your cave because you haven't seen demonstration, but what I'm telling you is you need to just listen to my voice. We have to be careful that we don't quit serving God or we become pitiful in our own mindset and we become weak in our service to the King of kings and the Lord of lords because we haven't experienced what we would expect to experience in serving Him. Well, I went to church on Sunday and I didn't experience God the way I expected to experience Him. That's okay. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. Well, I went to church on on Wednesday night, and, and it wasn't what I expected. That's okay. It's fine. God didn't abandon you. God didn't leave you. You're not the only one. There's 30 plus people here today that love God and are serving God and are sold out for Him. There's saints in the house of God today. You're with the people of God. Don't run to a cave of isolation and start throwing yourself a pity party because you haven't seen a demonstration of God that you expect to see. Something happens when the still, small voice of God began to speak. I don't have a mantle. I guess I'm not in a prophet. This old Haynes hanky will have to do. He grabs his mantle and covers his face. A reverence came over Elijah. A respect came over Elijah because he realized I'm standing in the presence of something that's bigger than me not because of its demonstration but because it has the the ability and the willingness to call to me in its still small voice and I want to tell you today you may have walked into a cave to start with a pity party But the still, small voice of God is calling to you today. Come out. From the cave Step out of the cave My still small voice is still in relationship with you My still small voice is still demonstrating to you I love you I care for you You're not alone You're not abandoned You've not been left outside by yourself God's not walked away from you The cave has been dark The cave has been lonely But God says come out from the cave And hear my voice And what did the still, small voice say to Elijah? What are you doing here, Elijah? Well, Lord, we already had this question, but I have a better and different answer. And when it's all over with, when Elijah and God finish their conversation, Elijah's on his way to anoint the next one. You hear me today, if you'll come out of your cave, your ministry, your purpose will be fulfilled. You can't do what God called you to do living in a cave. You can't fulfill what God's placed in your life by living in a cave. Step out of it. Walk in boldness. Walk in the grace and the favor of God and let him lead you and guide you in all that he's called you to do. Yes, there'll be up days. Yes, there'll be down days. Yes, there'll be days that it feels like there's a troop behind you, pushing you and with you. And there'll be days that you feel like you're walking all alone by yourself. But God said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He said he'll stick closer than a brother. He said he is always with us He's as close as the mention of his name If we'll just reach out to him We can touch him Just call out to Jesus And he will bring you out of your cave Exodus chapter 33 Moses is leading the children of Israel from a land of slavery to a land of promise. Much happens in their journey. But here God calls Moses to Mount Sinai. And he, Moses is up in the mountain. Him and God are communing with one another. And Moses makes a bold request. Lord, I just want to see your glory. Anybody want to see the glory of God? Anybody want to experience the glory of God? It's not... It's not an unreasonable request to us because it's something we hunger for. It's something we desire. It's something we we long for. The, The soul inside of us wants to be connected to the glory of our creator. And God says in verse 20, Exodus 33 and 20, He said, Thou cannot see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. We learn a very valuable lesson here that the glory of God is, is beyond the comprehension of our humanity and our flesh. Our carnality would simply die in the presence of God. I'm glad that's not the end of the story. It's kind of a hopeless answer. No, you can't see me. You'll die. Have a good day. But God makes a way. God makes a provision, verse 21. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock. And it shall come to pass, while my glory passeth by, that I will put thee in a cliff of the rock, and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. And I will take away my hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. As much as we would desire to see the fullness of God's glory, we can't. But that doesn't eliminate us from experiencing the God's glory. For God has made a way for us to see Him and to know Him. God has made a way for us to experience Him. And so what did God do? God says, here Moses, stand in this place that's by me. The first thing God does is He draws us close to Him. If you've got a hunger today and a desire in your heart to experience the glory of God, the first thing God's going to do to you is pull you closer to Him. Pull you nearer to Him. That's going to feel like you're letting go of some other things. You're going to have to let go of things that can't survive in the glory of God. You're going to have to release some stuff that can't come into the glory of God as you get nearer to Him. And then the Bible says that God had him and put him in the cleft of a rock I think the old song calls it a cleft of the rock A cleft of a rock is a rock overhang A cleft of a rock is a overhang but it was formed it was created it was made It's not naturally occurring. God said, I will create a place for you. I will create a cave for you. I will create a hiding place for you. And I will place you in the cave. And then I will put my hand over it and I will walk by you. Then I will let you come out of the place that I created for you. And see me. You may be in a cave today because God wants wants to get you closer to his glory. You may be in a cave today and feel like you're in a dark place and alone and there's no lights on because God is trying to get nearer to you. God is trying to answer the cry of your heart and the cry of your soul and the cry of your spirit. Lord, I want to see your glory. And he says, okay, but it won't happen the way you expect it to happen. There will be a cave involved. There will be a dark moment that happens. There will be a place where you feel isolated. There will be a place where you feel like you're not around anybody else. But if you'll hold on for just a minute and let me walk by, when I remove my hand, you'll see as much glory as you can comprehend. Oh, and don't forget Seeing my glory is one thing after I've passed by But don't forget about the moment while you're in the cliff Or while you're in the cave While you're in the place I made for you While my hand is covering it and shining and blocking out all light you're closer to me than anybody's ever been. You're closer to God in the middle of your cave experience than anybody has ever been. His hand is literally right there protecting you. Don't be fearful. Don't be afraid. Don't don't feel like God's left you or abandoned you. The cleft or the cave that God has placed you in was for a purpose. It's a place that's preparing you to see the glory of God. God's pulling some stuff off of us, God's leading us, God's calling us to consecration, God's calling us to surrender. And in that process of his calling us to these things, it may feel as though we're alone. It may feel as though we've been abandoned, but you're not alone. God is preparing you to see his glory. This is part of the cave experience. One more example in scripture. And we'll run towards a close. John chapter 11, verse 41. The story of Lazarus. Verse 41. And they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. The dead was Lazarus. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. I know that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by me, I say that they may believe that thou hast sent me. When he has thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth. Bound. I just I chuckle every time I get to this part of scripture because here he comes Bound. How is he bound? Hands and feet with grave clothes. He's wrapped up like a mummy. His hands and his feet, so he's bouncing his way out. Maybe he's fell down and rolling his way out. And he doesn't know where he's going because then his face was bound about with a napkin. He can't see where he's doing. He just knows I'm just bouncing my way out. And Jesus said unto them, loose him and let him go. Lazarus didn't even know he was in a cave. Lazarus didn't even know he was in a cave. The last moment of reality in this life for Lazarus may have been a physician looking over his body. It may have been his family gathered around his bed. His last conscious moments may have been peaceful while hymns were being sung to him or while comfort was being administered to him or while medical care was being taken on him. His last moments may have been painful in his body. May have had a roaring fever. We don't know the sickness that caused Lazarus to pass. It may have been an accident that happened in the field. We don't know all the details. But Lazarus' last conscious moment was not in a cave. Can I tell you today that some of you are experiencing some stuff in your life and you don't even realize it's God's cave you. You think life's just terrible. You think life is just awful. You think situations are just always going to be this way. This is just how it always is. No, you're in a cave. You're in a dead place. You're in a place where those who have passed away are taken and buried, and a stone's rolled over, and they're left and memorialized. And you feel like you may be living in a graveyard and in a tomb, but you don't realize it's a God-ordained cave. I'm here to tell you today, by the authority of the Holy Ghost, you don't have to leave this place living among the dead. Because the voice of God is crying out today, whatever your name is, come forth. Lazarus, come forth. And his voice is echoing through the chambers of that cave. You can come alive again. You can be restored again. You can be made whole again. It's with the commandment of God that Lazarus' soul re-entered into this mortal body. And his body responded to the voice of its creator. It stood up, maybe shocked. What's going on? my last moment of consciousness was not like this this moment of consciousness is confusion this moment of conf- of of consciousness as is, I don't understand what's happening and and maybe you're here today in this church service and you're like I don't get what this preacher is preaching and I don't understand what he's saying today it may be because you've walked into a place of the living but you came in dead and there's something happening inside of you right now and you don't understand all the aspects that's going on but if you'll just trust the master's voice that's calling to you the impossible is happening that which was dead is coming Alive that which was lost in a cave is exiting the cave. I believe today that somebody is going to walk out of this house today with new revelation. Of what it is God's called you to. Somebody's going to leave this place today. With a new appreciation for what God's leading you through. The cave was not here to destroy you. The cave was here to build you up. The cave was a place of rest for you. The cave is a place of encouragement for you. The cave is a place of consecration for you. The cave may have been a place of death. But it will turn into a place of life. If you will just let God do what he's trying to do. In your life. Don't despise. The days. Of cave dwelling. They are uncomfortable. But they're transforming. Dwelling in the cave. Is filled with solitude. But that solitude. Builds resolution. Character. Character. And integrity. Every cave. Involves death. The first thing that happens inside of a cave is something has to die. And if God's brought you to a cave. Or God's created a cave for you to be in. I'm wondering today. What is it his spirit is speaking to you? I just feel like God's calling us to consecration today. What is God calling you to? What is God asking you? Will you consecrate that to me? Would you separate that from your life and leave it on an altar and let it die out of you? Would you let it leave your life and never be a part of you again? God doesn't take away from us without feeling back what was removed. Everything that you give to God and you let die, God will replace with new life. God will replace with new vigor, new passion, new anointings. And when you exit the cave, you will be different. You will be better. You will be more focused. Your calling will be more sure than you've ever known before. And you will have an anointing. You will have experienced the glory of God and have an empowerment upon you that you've never felt before in your life. I'm preaching to some people today that want to feel the glory of God, that want to experience the glory of God, that want to function under the anointing of God, that want to see the power of God work. But there's caves involved in that process. No one wants to live in a cave. Even the pity party man doesn't want to live in a cave. Can I tell you today, sometimes our caves are the result of divine direction. We don't enter with the desire to cause a death sacrifice. We don't even have a sacrifice prepared. We may look around the cave and say, why am I here? But it's inside the cave that you'll have moments of discovery. It's inside the cave when everything else is silent. When there's no flashing lights, there's no sunlight to blind your eyes, there's no noise to confuse you. There's not a hundred voices speaking into your life. It's just you and God. In that moment alone, in that place of alone, in that place of silence, you'll have discovery. And what will we discover We'll discover that God's calling us to surrender. And then we'll place that thing on an altar and death occurs. Don't be encumbered. Don't be encumbered to quickly just kill something to move on. You go into the cave. I'm telling you today, the only way we're coming out of the cave is when something dies. Well, that's a great message of hope, preacher. Well, just hold on. But don't be quick to just grab the thing closest to you and slay it and say, all right, let's go out. Because God is going to speak to you. God is going to minister to you. God is going to speak into your life and begin to move in your life. And and he may separate some people out of your life. And he may separate some situations out of your life. And he's saying, hey, do you want to feel my glory? Do you want to see my glory? Do you want to experience my glory? Do you want to get nearer to me? Do you want to grow deeper in your relationship with me? Our exit of the cave isn't by us choosing what we kill. It's by us being obedient to God and allowing him to choose our sacrifice. Romans 5 tells us to be patient because tribulations worketh patience and patience experience and experience hope. If we'll be patient in our tribulations, I'll tell you today that you will come across the holiness of God. You will come across the new level of consecration in your life. God will call you to these things. There are really two types of Of Christians in our world. There are those who seek to live just holy enough. And don't ask me what that is. Because I can't define for you what holy enough is. I don't know what's holy enough. Every cave I've been into I've found out I've had to give something else up to God. I don't know what holy enough is. And then there are Christians who seek to live for God. And they're doing everything they can to fulfill His commandment to them. And His commandment is, be holy, for I am holy. I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to be holy. My flesh can't be holy. Any part of my flesh that i presented to God as an act of holiness has been rejected but every time I've taken my flesh and placed it on an altar and just said, okay, God, do with me what you want to do, He's began to move in my heart. He's began to move in my spirit. His glory has began to call me nearer to Him. His presence calls me nearer to Him. His anointing draws me in, and He begins to make me holy after His own likeness. Bible tells us in Genesis, that he took the dust of the earth and he formed us in his likeness. Yeah, he knew that when he came through a, a virgin named Mary and God would be manifested in flesh, when he walked among us, he'd have two legs and two arms, a torso Ten toes and ten fingers. Yeah, he created us in the likeness of what he was going to present himself as. But it wasn't just in the carnal. It was in the spiritual. It was in the holy. You understand, Adam and Eve didn't have a barrier between them and God. In the cool of the day, the fullness of God's glory was on display to them. They were as holy as they could be and they were acceptable in the presence of God. So when God puts me in a cave, he's just trying to get me back to that place where I can be in his presence. You want to talk about a demonstration of love? You want to talk about a God who can't let us go? You want to talk about a God who keeps reaching for us? Hey, I want you closer to me. Let me put you in a cave and clean some stuff off. Then you can come nearer to me. Stand with me this morning. God is calling out to us today. And if you're in a cave, I believe uh, you can walk out of your cave today. I believe God will reveal himself to you in ways that you've never seen before. We lift our hands for just a minute. Lord, I love you. Lord, I bless you and praise you. Lord, i give you glory today. Would you begin to just let this word begin to sink into your heart and your soul today. Let it just be more than a word that you've heard, but let it become a word that stirs inside of you. Lord, I want to be near you. I want your glory. I want your presence. I want to be near to you, God. The old pioneer J.T. Haywood went on an extended fast. The story goes that he secluded himself in the attic of the church. When he exited after his fast, after his time of seclusion, after being locked away with just God, when he exited out of the attic, His first words were melodic. It was the old hymn we often sing. I see a crimson stream of blood that flows from Calvary. Whose waves which reach the throne of God are sweeping over me. While he walked out with a new revelation of the power of the blood. He walked out with a new revelation of the beauty of the cross. He walked out with a new revelation of what God was trying to speak into his life and into his heart today. I want to tell you that just as powerful as his experience was in his cave. God wants to make for you in your cave. J.T. Haywood was a man that left with renewed vision. He left that cave with reconsecration in his purpose. And he had a revived mission in his life. And I want to tell you today, God wants you to walk out of your cave reconsecrated. God wants you to walk out of your cave today with renewed purpose and renewed vision. Thank you for listening to the life Spring Church podcast. Join us in person on Sundays at 11 a.m. Visit us online at lifespringchurch.us.